0: So, for a few years, I've been asking this question just out of curiosity to lots of people I bump into Would Jesus have a smartphone? And it's been fascinating to hear the responses. And it's interesting how a lot of people are quick to say yes, others are quick to say no. But a couple months ago, I was sitting with a very wise woman and I felt a prompting to ask that question again to her. And I said, So, Kelly, what do you think about this? Would Jesus have had a cell phone? And she had a pause. And then very rather quickly and confidently, she said, oh, yes, he would. But he would not have been ruled by it. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder with Alan Arnold. It's the week of March 25th. And welcome to another episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast. The title, What Sets You Off? Uh, we have a fun category to get into today. Um, Alan, thanks for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And this question of what rules us and what are we ruled by? Just a fascinating question to even think that, yes, perhaps Jesus would have a smartphone, but more importantly, he would not be ruled by it. Perhaps if he had one, he would rule over it. And it seems like it's an on-road. Uh, once again, to the narrow road that takes us deeper into these realities of the kingdom life, of how do we find the abundant life and how do we become the kind of person whom life to the full is a natural posture. So Alan, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, you had a great story that's led to multiple conversations that have really (laughs) taken us into this category. For the sake of all of our friends out there, Take me back. What happened?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. One of the things we try to do here is be current in our stories and be vulnerable. And so this is one that I say with a little bit of a red face, but it's a fun story in that it reveals in me something that I know I need to bring to God. So Morgan, this happened about two weeks ago, and I was in Denver at a Home Depot Lowe's type place and was getting some things. And actually had an ally of Ransomed Heart with me in the vehicle. And so we're coming into this shopping area where the Lowe's Home Depot place is. And all of a sudden there's a crosswalk and this person kind of pops around the corner really quick. I was only going about one mile an hour, you know, because you're going slow through this area, but I didn't see this guy coming. And so as he's going into the store, I break and pause. But he's about three feet in front of my truck. And I could tell it just infuriated this man, even though there was no contact and everything, but it really rattled him. So I wave and and kind of mouth, hey, sorry. And as the guy is coming around my truck, he gets to the back and all of a sudden I hear this wham and he just had welled back and slammed with his hand the back of my truck as hard as he could. And in that moment, I just felt this fury rise up in me of first it was what what just happened. And then it was, I can't believe this, this person just knocked the back of my truck. And so the allies right there with me watching me and we were in some deep conversation about the heart when this happens, of course, And <laughs> and all of a sudden this disruption happens and he looks at me and I said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but I'm circling back around to, to catch up with this guy. And the ally's eyes get wide. And so I, I circle around and he's about to go into the place. And I just said to him, hey, I'm sorry, didn't see you there, didn't mean to get so close to you, but that's not really cool what you're doing, you know, when you hit somebody's truck like that. Well, the guy was ready for a fight um, in words and in posture. And so he starts yelling and cursing and people are going in this place, looking at him and looking at us in the truck and the allies looking at me. And I find myself in this, what felt like a no win situation because Mm -hmm. on the one hand for that to have happened, I mean, the only thing that got hit was my truck, you know, with his hand, like this person didn't get hit and there was no harm, no foul on that. But then when he slapped my truck, It was really this question of, I'm not sure what the best thing to do is, because it felt passive to just drive off and ignore it. And it felt too aggressive. I knew I wasn't going to jump out of the truck and pick a fight, but it's like, what do you do in that situation where neither option feels good to engage with somebody who's over the top, angry and furious, doesn't feel like a win and gets messy? and to drive away and just pretend it's all okay and let it roll off Mm -hmm. feels super passive. So Morgan, that was the story that we were talking about and it provoked a lot of great conversation with the team because what would you do in that situation? You know, What would you do if somebody just out of the blue did that? Do you stop, engage, do you keep driving and ignore it? And it played out lifetime for me with an ally in the truck. So it was a pretty revealing situation.
0: And what I really appreciated about that experience is the next day when you were at work, you took it to the next level to be curious about your reaction, right? You processed it with me and with a few other folks, and then we actually ended up having a a dinner at an event, and we were all around the table wrestling with— what is our typical reaction and what does it look like to walk with God right. in that type of situation? And I think one of the things I want to name in this podcast is every situation is unique, right? So it can't be prescriptive. Right. We have to walk with right. God. Right. Context is everything. Yes. Thomas Aquinas, many years ago, suggested in understanding ethics, there's really three layers to consider. And one is the nature of mm-hmm. an act, mm-hmm. one is the motive. Of an act and one is the circumstances of an act and it's really helpful to think do you stop at a stop sign for example in a parking lot that's empty zero cars right in the middle of the night at 2am with bright lights everywhere is it the right thing to stop or not, and I don't want to dive into that here, that's not what it's for, (laughs) but it's worth considering because there's nature and motive and circumstance. So we don't want to be prescriptive. We're not telling people what to do in that situation, but I think what we're naming is that situation evokes some things in you, and if I remember you telling the story when you came back, you described what this man in the truck with you said of your reaction when he slammed your car with his hand, Right. You remember that?
1: Yeah. Because again, this ally and I were having this deep, meaty conversation about a heart matter. And even after I stopped and there was a few feet between us and I, you know, waved to the guy and said, sorry, we just went back to the conversation and we're starting to ease on when the back of my truck got hit. The ally said later to me, when that happened, I just saw this flash of fury come over your face. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't a conscious thing, yes. you know, that I did. And honestly, I was glad, Morgan, that he was in the vehicle with me because the me 15 years ago would have probably jumped out of the vehicle and and not picked a fight, but would have been toe to toe with this person yes. who did that 15 years ago. Well, I'm not that man anymore, but there was that momentary sense of I'm going to make this right. Yes. Like this is not right. This is not fair. And nobody has the right to just, you know, bang your vehicle, even if it's with their fist. And so thankfully he was in my vehicle because that put a pause in me of be careful of what you're about to do, be thoughtful. And yet there was this rush of adrenaline. Yes. So as we unpacked it later and he mentioned that to me, I said, yeah, you're right, and that's not who I want to be. Yes. I don't want some emotional reaction or some surge of offense or even cloaked in, you know, that's not fair, that's not right. I'm going to make it right. But if that causes me to do something that the next day or even in the next 5 minutes that I regret, that's not that's not good. And as I was even talking to this person from my vehicle and he was yelling and he was cursing and he was furious, And all of a sudden I'm like, what conversation is this? Like people are walking by not knowing what's going on, but it's not the scene of a story I want to be in. Mm. And all of a sudden I'm in it Yes. by not just moving on. So as you and I unpack that, and as we did with the other guys, like part of it came down to, even though it's not prescriptive, the question that everybody asked themselves around the table was, how would they respond? Yes. And I think we all came to this point of whether we would drive off in passivity, because we didn't want to engage or confront, or we're fearful of that, or we did something more aggressive, we stopped, we said something to this individual, we got out of the truck, we, whatever it would be, but on the aggressive side, that didn't feel like mm-hmm. the answer. And so there was this holy pause around the table of, well, but aren't those the only two options? Right. Like, isn't it either... You move on and you let it go and it's somewhat passive in that you're not engaging, or you engage with a strength and a force and you set it right. But if neither of those are the best option, yes, what is?
0: Right. And what surfaced in that dialogue was most everyone in the room was either bent towards passivity or bent towards aggression, but neither of them out of love. neither of them out of heroism, but instead a reaction Mm -hmm. out of either fear or shame, right? It was a knee-jerk reaction, even unconscious, habitually trained. And it's very different to have a pause to say, what is the with God life? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to be in Christ? And what, what surfaced in that was a fascinating reference to Proverbs 16.32, which is a very intriguing verse. And and I'll confess for years, it kind of didn't settle well with me. And if you're not familiar with it, Proverbs sixteen thirty two, the typical translation in NIV roughly is better as a patient man than a warrior, one who is self-controlled than one who takes a city. And the inference that people will often use on it is a juxtaposition of there's a patient man and there's a warrior, right? And it's better yeah. to be patient than yeah. a warrior. but in truth, the application of that verse is a mature warrior is one who can be a warrior and be under a holy constraint, right? That he has a rule, he has a governance over his own spirit. And that's yeah. where the translation that really helped me when I finally got to the heart of the of the original text it is something closer to... It is far better for a king or queen to have rule over his or her spirit than to seize a city. In other words, the higher value of walking in authority and walking in dominion the higher value of taking more land or exerting more distance is to actually rule over your own spirit. It's this idea of self-control. And it's very exposing because we have a knee-jerk reaction. It's easy to take on battles if you're prone towards aggression than it is to be a warrior, but have the maturity of self-restraint. And that's just the brilliance that we see in Jesus's life of how he had the capacity, as scripture says, to call down angels to destroy evil and take away a momentary suffering. And instead he chose not to wield his power in that way. He is strong and he's become the kind of man who is a warrior and yet he's constrained by love to know where and how to deploy it. And so I think there is a very deeply gender expression of that as men, but it also is very universal where it led us to this question of what does self-control look like? What does it look like to have rule over your spirit in such a way where you can be antagonized, you can be prone towards passivity, you can be prone towards over-engagement or over-aggression, but in either way, you cultivate a pause to say, how do I walk with God literally in his power in this situation?
1: Right, right. And That verse from Proverbs 16, like the beautiful thing about that to me is whoever is slow to anger. Well, like the ally who was sitting next to me in the truck, like when that happened, I want to be a man who's slow to anger. I mean, for heaven's sake, we were talking about a heart issue Yes, at the moment it happened and something in me was quick to anger. And so the examined life, if we want to live that says, okay, go there. Find out why, what's going yes. on underneath the surface, because really that's where all the story is, is what's happening on a heart level to cause that kind of reaction. Even if we could justify it on one level, on a deeper level, that's not the person who is going to take a city, who has reign over his spirit. And Morgan, as you were talking, like I think of Jesus, and I wouldn't describe him as overly aggressive, And he certainly wasn't passive. And so there's got to be that other path. Yes. Because he was able to handle everything, an immense amount of circumstances and conflict and chaos. Yes. And never went to passivity and was not the over-aggressive, loudest person in the room who just pushed his way through. I mean, he, he could have had angels at his beck and call to do anything. And yet there was this internal peace and just this presence that was stronger, but not aggressive in everything that he did. Like he brought, he brought peace and he brought life. He didn't just scream the loudest yes. or run away.
0: And now, and I think it really took us to a question that we sense to bring to the community today of how do you cultivate that life that's under holy restraint, right? That it's power and dominion in the service of love. And Dallas has a teaching on this that's been really helpful for me over the years. These big ideas that are deep heart issues can be very accessible by this idea of what's the itch? And if you have an itch, don't scratch it. You see, we live in a culture where we really reserve the right to scratch every itch that we feel, right? (laughs) Yes. And as you know, every one of us probably had poison ivy as a kid or chicken pox if you're old enough. So the problem with scratching an itch is it becomes itchier right? That's just the nature of things. And right now you're probably getting itchy as you're listening to this because I am, but it's really deep heart matters. If we're willing to consider the examined life of what is your itch yeah. and are you willing to give consideration, pause and practice towards not scratching that itch? So if I'm honest, Ellen, I think of the itches that I love to scratch, where I feel like I have words that need to be spoken right? Or I have food in which I want to indulge, right? We had a big bin of Hershey kisses last night and it was a hard day. I'm trying to get the kids to bed and they're past their bedtime. I'm frustrated. And I took two swings by the Hershey kisses. And it's a big deal (laughs) because I was not exercising the restraint that I know those aren't the medication my soul needs, right? Right? We reached to medication to feel different. And in that moment, I was indulging the itch of needing to feel better. So I'm scratching it with Hershey Kisses, right? Sometimes it's food or the inconvenience that we feel compelled to avoid, you know, where we just, we want convenience. And so we scratch that itch, you know, we pick up the drive-through food instead of sitting down to enjoy a meal with a person, or we pick up a prepared meal because we don't want the inconvenience of the time that it takes. It's a a set of dominoes, but I think what's really helpful to me as a very accessible on-ramp is what is the itch we have and what surfaces when we give ourselves permission to not scratch the itch?
1: Right. The question is, what is it that sets you off as a listener? Because everybody has their buttons. Everybody has their brokenness. And so it may be the person that cuts you off in traffic. And you may feel totally right by waving a hand signal at the vehicle or saying something under your breath. And nobody's there to see it. But there's things that set us off, and it's different for all of us. And the question is, Where do you go when that happens? How do you scratch that itch? Do you self-medicate it? Do you feel justified? A lot of times in my past brokenness, my aim would be to explain my way. Well, you don't understand. If you were in that situation, you would have done this. Anybody would have done this in this situation. So it was instead of examining why, what the motive is, it was justifying my situation and my response. And so Morgan, I think, It's big to say, name something that sets you off. Maybe it's from your spouse, your kids, your parents, your job, traffic. Find that thing, though, and ask yourself, where do you go when that happens? What do you go to for relief? And do you primarily tend to go passive? Do you shut down? Do you go aggressive? Do you rail against it? What do you do when the thing that sets you off sets you off? And the bigger question is, why does it set you off?
0: Yes. Yes. Because what God's after in this is for us to become the kind of people that can rule and reign, right? He wants us to become the kind of people that he can entrust his care. And it's this process of moving through the itch and not scratching in dealing with the root issues that we become the kind of person that no longer has that itch. I can think of a great story. I was with a peer and sat down for a meal and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great, which I was so surprised (laughs) because you rarely hear that in his world. I know enough about his world from a distance to know his world's crazy. And so I said, tell me, about great. It was straight out of Peter, you know, tell me about this hope that you have within you. Like, I want to know. And he said, I'm doing great because I was a mess. Everything was setting me off. His business basically was expanding and he was running a very small business out of his house and it was expanding. And so he had the problem of success and he was so under stress that if anything, started going wrong on any level, it set him off. And so he was very tense and very prickly. And he asked God what he needed to do. And God said, you need to spend time with me. And he was immediately convicted because he realized he had to just let go of so much time with God. It just slowly yes. e- eroded. And he said, and so you know what I did in the busiest season of my life is I took Fridays off. And he had my full attention because he's not the kind of guy to do this, right? right? And I could feel my own fear rising off of how in the world could you give all of Friday, every Friday to this? And I said, how long ago was it? And he said, about four months ago. And I said, what happened? And he said, at first it was unnerving. He said, but then over time, I found that I was receiving rest in a way that I hadn't ever received rest before. And I found some healing, and I found intimacy with God that I had long abandoned. And he said, I returned to my work, and he said, it's still crazy. But he said, there's something like rest in me, in my work, that there was never rest in my work before. And so what happened was he chose not to scratch the itch and he did the opposite and it was bumpy. But over time, that itch went away because he found a deeper wholeheartedness. And actually it really convicted me and challenged me and sent me into a season of practicing something similar, not necessarily taking Fridays, but really with fierce intentionality, taking some ground back that I'd given of not scratching those itches And I'm seeing the fruit and it's really uh, producing joy.
1: That's huge. That's huge. As you find what sets you off and as you find that itch that's driving you crazy, just to realize there are no shortcuts to dealing with this other than inviting God in, I would say, uh, and examining your life in, in that deep way. My kids are in basketball. They love basketball. And my daughter is in high school. And so the stakes are higher, the games are more aggressive, and the fans are more unruly. I'm talking about the moms and dads, the the parents. And so in the gym we play in, there's one set of bleachers for most of the game. So the opposition team parents and our parents are all sitting together, kind of intermingled most of the time. And everybody has an opinion and everybody's loud, right? So um, at a recent game, well, there was this man who would yell when our girls would go to make a free throw. And, you know, usually the gym goes quiet at that moment, right? It's the free throw. Well, this guy would scream at the girls to try to disorient them and and rattle them. And this is like a 50-year-old guy. And he was a few feet from me. And I could feel myself just something in me rising up, rising up. This isn't right. This isn't fair. I need to go talk to that guy. And my wife Kelly puts her hand on my knee, and she's probably been here before, right, 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 right and squeezes and is like, uh-uh, "It's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't do it." And it was everything in me not to say something to him because it just felt like who is this bully? Like he's bullying a high school girls basketball team. And so what I tried to do for the next game, so I thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do because my wife's right. I can't, you know, get into an argument and create a confrontation in the stands of a high school basketball game. That's crazy. This person isn't probably going to respond to my response very well. So here's the solution, Morgan, that I got. I'll bring headphones and I'll I'll put headphones on the whole game. (laughs) And I'll watch the game. I'll be present, but I won't hear people doing that. And so I'll put on smooth jazz oh, or ocean waves or something. I love the, nobil- or something. the
0: effort of nobility.
1: And, and But the problem was, right, like I wasn't reining in my emotions and what set me off. I wasn't controlling my spirit. I was trying to basically tune out things so I didn't have to deal with it. And then what happened was my wife would just tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm going to go sit with this other couple because you can't hear me and we can't talk during the game. And you've got your headphones on and, you know, I know you're not trying to get riled up, but we can't talk. So I'm going to sit over here. So I'm sitting alone at the game (laughs) With with my headphones. And it was not a good solution. It was not what I truly needed. It was trying to just tune out things. And so I realized that's not going to work. I've got to take the headphones off. I've got to be the kind of man who can sit through that and deal with it in the right way. And so after the game, my daughter comes up and asks me if I heard this man. And I was like, no, I didn't because I had headphones on. I was listening to jazz music. And she looked at me like, dad, that's not helpful. And so once again, it's like, what do you do? You know, do you, do you confront? Do you not? And the answer is neither. You learn how to control your spirit so that you can be present to those around you at the game. So you're not muffling things out, but so you can be the man or woman who navigates through that in a whole and holy way. And, you know, that's what I'm learning, Morgan. And even that very first story we started with about my truck and what happened, the great thing about that was even though I did not handle that how I wanted in the first four or five minutes. Within the next three minutes, I was talking to that ally in the truck about, ah, that didn't feel right. What do we do? How do I process that differently next time? How do I become the man who, when I look back on a situation like that, there was a real strength and not this flare up reaction. And so the good news is for me, I'm becoming more and more the man who hopefully God would say, yep, you have a spirit now who can actually be ruled by peace and our true strength rather than the reactionary. Yes. Whether the reactionary is one way or the other, because like you said, either way is fear-based and we want to be love-based. Yes.
0: Yeah, Alan, it just reminds me is these things take time, right? We are men in process and we are partway on a journey. And as we share this with the listeners, even by way of confession and hope, I just want to name these things take time, but there's always an on-ramp. And so what is your itch? What is the on-ramp? Because what I appreciate about the story with the headphones is you did something in your power to try to move towards dealing with the situation that wasn't healthy. And often it is some shift in something external, which raises the internal. So if you don't get to the internal, it becomes behavior modification. As you know, all the action is at the heart. but What I appreciate one mentor said years ago, one of the deep signs of spiritual maturity is how quickly and how deeply we can respond to the movement of God in our life. How quickly and deeply can we respond to the movement of God in our life? And so what I just appreciate about those stories is you're describing that over time, you are responding more quickly and more deeply than you have in the past. And so to our listeners, I would ask the question is, what is the itch? What is the itch and how do you scratch it? And what would be God's steps to move you towards honest consideration, the examine life, and that in time and over time, we all together can become the men and women that can rule over our spirit far before we attempt to rule over a city.
1: You know. It also, I just want to leave the listener with Proverbs twenty six four, which ties into what we were talking about earlier, which is, don't respond to the words of a fool with more foolish words, or you become as foolish as he is. Another words, when you engage a fool, somebody being foolish, their actions are foolish. Rather than let that create offense, or even what we would call righteous anger. How do you engage in a way that doesn't make you equally foolish? How do you engage in a way that Jesus would engage if he were standing right there? In the midst of chaos, he never became more chaotic. He brought order and strength and beauty and life to the situations he was in. So the challenge is, how do we do that in the very thing that sets us off? It's a journey we're all on, but it's an invitation worth diving deeper into big time.
0: Well, Friends, thank you for joining us. Grace to you as you trust together with us in confident belief that God is acting, that he is initiating, that he is leading the process of maturing deeper and deeper into becoming the kind of people that he can entrust with his kingdom. Thank you for joining Alan and I on this episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast, and we hope to be together with you again next week.